Who buys a foreign sports car, sight unseen, from a mail-order catalog while stationed overseas during a war? Find out in Episode 5 of The Classic Sports Car. Welcome to The Classic Sports Car, a tribute to the sporting classics of a bygone era. Hello, everybody. This is Tom Dunn, and welcome to another edition of The Classic Sports Car. In this episode, we'll get a chance to hear from a few other participants at the 2019 San Diego British Sports Car Day. But first off, here's some news related to the sports car world. In the last episode, we heard about Aston Martin and some of the financial troubles that they were once again in, but the hope that a new investor, Lawrence Stroll, would be able to, in a sense, rescue them from a continuous run of bankruptcies that has plagued them for over 60 years. In the UK automotive website, Autocar, there was a recent interview with Aston Martin CEO, Andy Palmer, about Lawrence Stroll coming on board and the new direction that they're gonna be heading in. The article is titled, Aston Martin Boss Wants Brand to Be the British Ferrari. And in the interview, CEO Andy Palmer states that Lawrence has been the Canadian Ferrari importer a long time, so he understands the Ferrari model very well. We expect in future to make materially fewer sports cars, but to make every one of them solidly profitable. We built 5,800 sports cars for wholesale last year. We'll do fewer in 2020. He went on to state, it's time for us to make good and try to become the British Ferrari, asking customers to spec their cars individually and wait for them to be built. The DBX, which is their new SUV, is already showing how we mean to go on. We're building those cars only for retail and our order book for 2020 is full. So can Aston Martin resurrect itself by becoming the British version of Ferrari, making fewer vehicles, but making more profitable vehicles with a smaller number? Hopefully this approach will be successful for Aston Martin and it will enable them to be driven and seen and enjoyed on our streets and roads for many years to come. Sticking in Great Britain, the great Sterling Moss has recently died. Moss was one of the greatest race drivers ever because of his success in so many different categories of racing, whether it be Formula One, endurance, sports cars, he even holds multiple speed records. Sterling Moss became a professional driver at the age of 18 back in 1948, and he raced for Jaguar, Mercedes-Benz, Lotus, Ferrari, Maserati, and Aston Martin, among a number of makes. For four years in a row, between 1955 and 1958, he finished second in the Formula One Drivers' Championship. He never won an F1 title. He's often considered the greatest racer never to win an F1 title. Unfortunately, in three of those four, he was on the Mercedes-Benz team, and he was a partner with the legendary Juan Manuel Fangio, who won four straight Formula One titles. So it's kind of tough to compete for the title when your partner and lead driver on your team is Juan Manuel Fangio. He started 529 professional races in his career. He finished 375 of them, and won 212. So if he finished the race, there was a greater than 50% chance that he would win it. 
A near-fatal accident at Goodwood in 1962 drew an end to his racing career, and he retired after that incident. He passed away April 12th, 2020, after a long illness. So the racing world has lost one of its greats. This one, while not really connected to classic sports cars, I found a very interesting, entertaining article. This is from Autoblog, and it says, Argentinians find stash of never-registered, brand-new, 30-year-old Italian cars. Their article states that several new, never-registered Italian and French cars exited a 27-year confinement in Argentina. They were left for dead in an abandoned dealership that sold Alfa Romeo, Fiat, and Peugeot models in a city just outside of the capital of Buenos Aires. It stated the dealership closed at some point during the 90s after the owner and his son died in violent circumstances. Somebody finally inherited the property this year in 2020 and wanted the cars to be gone as soon as possible so they could sell the property. So they contacted a local body shop that also runs a used car lot and asked them to haul them away. It stated most were stored indoors, so they weren't damaged by sunlight or humidity. And after they were cleaned up and pressure washed, their like new condition, both inside and out, were very evident. Some, they said, even started up. Now, there's not a great excitement from a financial standpoint, unfortunately, because none of them were really particularly sought-after vehicles. They were economy cars that were mass-produced and pretty much run to the ground and then mass-destroyed. So their current value probably reflects that. But just another one of those stories about cars abandoned for decades being rediscovered. And our last news article, remember hopping in your classic sports car and driving off to the drive-in theater? Well, maybe, just maybe, you'll get a chance to do that again soon. There's an article on Haggerty.com that asks, will drive-in movie theaters soon provide Americans a much-needed night out? So as so many of us across the world are confined to our homes as a result of our shelter-in-home orders as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, turns out that drive-in theaters, especially those in Europe and Asia, are once again becoming popular and are looked at as a safe distraction from the COVID-19 pandemic. Here in the U.S., various states are considering allowing drive-ins to reopen while regular theaters remain closed. Some of the states have allowed their drive-in theaters to remain open, some have not, and some are still considering it. The Hollywood Reporter indicates that the U.S. has an estimated 320 drive-ins still in existence, although only 25 of them are currently open. And there's one drive-in theater in Germany that's open year-round, and the article indicated that it has sold out every screening since the country went into lockdown in early March. So maybe we'll once again have an opportunity to put the top down in our classic sports car and drive out to the drive-in theater and enjoy a night under the stars with a big screen in front of us. In the last episode, we heard from three participants from the 2019 San Diego British Car Day. And I want to make a correction. I indicated that the owner of the Austin Healey 3000 was Jay. And I apologize for that. That was actually Eric. So Eric, I'm sorry for identifying you as Jay in the last episode. We're going to go back to the San Diego British Car Day. First, we're going to hear from Lloyd, who has a 1970 Jaguar E-Type Coupe Series 2. He is the original owner of this car and has a very interesting and unique story about how he acquired it. Then we'll hear from Steve from the San Diego Automotive Museum, 
who brought four British cars out to the San Diego British Car Day. I hope you enjoy. Tell me about this beautiful car we've got here. Well, I'm the original owner. I ordered the car while I was uh, uh, in the South Vietnam. And uh, I think I ordered late 1969. And I ordered it through a company called Nemet Auto International out of Jamaica, New York. They had published a catalog and uh, they were widely circulated in South Vietnam and a lot of guys bought cars in those days from them. So what you did is you filled out the order form, sent in a $500 deposit, and they would place the order with the factory. You would ask, or they would ask you when you wanted the car delivered to the United States, if it was a foreign uh, make, and um, they would ship it so that it got to you about the time you arrived back home. And I've had the car ever since. So you bought this sight unseen in a foreign country? I did. I bought it out of a mail order catalog. Never had driven one. And the only reason why I bought it was because my wife loved the styling of this car. <laughs> and uh, we've had it ever since. So, Was it a high priority for you originally to get a Jaguar? Or was it more your wife? It was actually a spur of the moment idea. I saw the catalog and I said, you know, my wife's working at San Diego State. She's self-sufficient. I'm in South Vietnam. There's no, way, no place to really spend all this money. And I thought it'd be kind of nice to uh, have a car like this. Um, I didn't even tell her I had ordered it. She found out about the order uh, when a telegram came uh, to our apartment. Uh, I don't know, I had been home maybe close to a week and a telegram comes and it's telling me that the car is in Long Beach, come and pick it up. And my wife asked, what's that telegram all about? And I said, well, I ordered a car. You did what? She said, and uh, what kind of a car, she asked. And I said, well, it's a Jaguar XKE. And she was kind of stunned. And I couldn't tell if she was happy about it or mad about it. I think maybe it was a little bit of both. But anyway, uh, that telegram arrived on the um, um, seventh, let's see, what was it? The 17th, and we went up to Long Beach on the 19th of June in our Volkswagen Beetle. Checked in up there in the parking structure, got directions for where it was located in the structure, got the keys, found it, got in it, started it up, and drove off. And the rest is history. <laughs> so what all have you done to it over the years? Well, basically just maintaining it. Um, it has been repainted. Uh, the engine has been gone through on the top end. Uh, things like a radiator, which, you know, degrades over time that had to be replaced. I did put a five-speed transmission in it, which is a much better option um, for the freeways here in Southern California. Um, the interior, the seats got new covers on it and a new dashboard on the interior. Um, and the, the, the car was resprayed with the new paint job. Chrome was all redone and some chrome parts were replaced because they were just aged out. But uh, that's about it. It's, uh, 
it's pretty much stock. My mechanic has done a few things to let the engine breathe a little bit better and uh, get a little bit more performance out of it. And uh, it runs like a top. It really is fun to drive. Now, I imagine this was a daily driver for a number of years? Well, for a while it was. Uh, uh, it was a daily driver, and my wife used to drive it even. Um, but uh, as we've gotten older and we've got other cars, this pretty much sits in the garage. And, you know, I'll take it out every couple of weeks to uh, exercise it. You don't want them sitting around too long. And... Uh, so I'll take it out, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the week when the traffic is not so bad and uh, cruise around North County and uh, uh, get some get some fluids going through it. And then I park it and then every once in a while I bring it to a, a show like this. So it's just and, and every once in a while we'll get in it and uh, and drive up to the mountains in it and stop someplace and have something to eat and wife and I and just enjoy it. And what's it like as a daily driver? Any idiosyncrasies that you've had to adapt to? You know, people people talk about Jags, especially these years, um, as being somewhat troublesome. Uh, back in the 60s, a lot of people bought these things. Uh, and the stories I've, I've heard about tinkering with the carburetors and never getting them adjusted right and getting frustrated with it and uh, owners then uh, going to the point of taking the Jaguar engine out and putting a Ford or Chevy V8 in it, which that's a big hit on the value of, of the car. You just ruin them when you do that. But, you know, to each his own. It's, it's your car. You should be able to do what you want to with it. But uh, I really have not had any any real trouble with it. I think it's a function of uh, maintaining the car as specified by Jaguar. And uh, if something is wrong, don't let it just go on and on and on. Get it, in, get it into a mechanic that knows what they're doing and get it addressed. And, and this has been pretty much a trouble-free car. I think the thing that has been the most troublesome but it hasn't been intolerable is is the electronics because it's 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 real old school stuff but it's simple and things will go out or you'll blow you know a ground will go bad uh, you'll blow a fuse and you gotta figure out what's going on but it's not too bad and i haven't had an electrical problem with it in in i i can't remember the last time my mechanic dials in the carburation on it and uh, it's good to go. Starts right up. So it's a 4.2 inline six. Has yep. it got the double or triple carbs? It's uh, two. Two Strombergs. This car has has rocker switches in it and a lot of the things that the uh, NAS National uh, Tra Transportation Board uh, brought into effect because of so-called safety reasons. Um, and a lot of that was influenced, I think, by uh, Ralph Nader. So the covered headlights went away, uh, rocker switches in this rather than toggle switches in the Series 1s and 1.5s. And um, uh, the lights in the, in the back are bigger and they're below the bumper. The French-end uh, bumper is has been taken away. Um, so some styling changes, but... Um, the car's, car's basically the same.
This is a Series 2? Series 2. Yep, Series 2. Jaguar uh, XKEs came uh, Series 1, then a one and a half, and then the Series 2. All those are six-cylinder cars with dual overhead cams. And then the Series 3 car is a V12, uh, which came out, I think, like 1972. And then those were produced for a few years, and then the E-Type production run stopped. So, yeah. Any other good, good machine. Any other great cars in your stable? Well, I've got a classic old uh, Mercedes uh, 280 SE sedan with a 4.5 liter motor, and it's a fun car to drive. It eats gas like crazy, but uh, it's a, it's an old classic with uh, the tall radiator and uh, the star on top and uh, two large uh, amber turn indication indication lights, stacked headlights in the front. So it's it's uh, it's a pretty nice car. Car and Driver, a number of years ago, uh, did an article on collectible cars, and they picked uh, the, the Mercedes 280 SE 4.5, as well as the uh, XKE here that uh, uh, people should consider purchasing for future value. So you've done well in both cases. I, I just lucked out. <laughs> there was no genius here. It was just luck of the draw. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for this conversation. You're Enjoy welcome, the rest Tom. of the show. Okay, you're welcome, Tom. So tell me about what brought you out here to the show today. Well, the, the San Diego Automotive Museum has a total of five British cars. One of them is a, a 51 Jag XK120 Roadster that is on permanent display up in the museum. But then we have four more British cars, which have spent a lot of time more or less being stored down at our restoration facility in National City. So a, a couple of them hadn't been driven in decades. So when this year when I saw the date for San Diego British Car Day, I said to myself, you know what? We need to get all four of our British cars running and driving and then drive them from our National City warehouse to the show. So. It took us two months, but I'm proud to say that this morning we were able to make that eight mile drive. So why is it important to get these vehicles outside and into the public's well, eyes? It's one for the public to be able to see them, but then also we have a, a squad of retired mechanics and engineers that volunteer at our facility and work on all these cars. And I realized, let's make it so it seems like there's more of a point to having them running, which is taking them and actually driving them places. So that was the other big motivation for us to do this. Is there a specific protocol the museum has with all the vehicles that are in their ownership? Well, I'm not sure by what, what well, you mean by protocol. In regards to driving them and getting them out of the road and... Well, you know, we don't, we can't afford to keep them all licensed and registered, you know, for street use. So, you know, that's one barrier, but so I get a lot of one-trip permits from the DMV, and that's that's how we how we drive them when we need to drive them somewhere. So, so what are the four cars that are on yeah, display here? Well, we have a 1932 Riley here, which is a mark that is little known in the U.S. but still has quite a following in England. 
really a very well-built car. In fact, I'm shocked at how well this car drives. This car hadn't been driven for 40 years before we drove it here today, essentially. Although, you know, we test drove it around the block a few times and stuff. But, so, but again, an amazing car to drive for a car that's 87 years old. And then this is a 1959 Austin Healey 3000. It's in the trim of the competition models. You notice it has the vent there on the side and it has the hood. So I need to research either, either it's a, a re, an actual competition car or one that was replicated. This was donated to us in this condition a couple of years ago. Then we have a 1949 MGYT. Think of it as a four passenger version of a TC essentially. And that car was restored by the museum personnel about 20 years ago. The car had never been driven anywhere. It just went on display. So, so we're essentially driving that for the first time anywhere. <laughs> and then we have a 1959 MGA twin cam, which is you know a very rare model which was fortunately was donated to us in this condition, completely restored. So, but that doesn't mean we didn't have to do anything to it. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the story on these vehicles. How does it get determined what vehicles are on display at the museum and which ones are well, in Well, our story? curator, you know, every four months we rotate shows, which means one, that's one side of the museum completely changes. Then we have another side where there are certain cars that kind of are always up there, like Louis Matar's car that drove thousands of miles without stopping, you know, all of that sort of thing. So our curator is the one that d develops the shows, and, and she, she goes out to all the different clubs and stuff and finds vehicles that people are willing, because, you know, somebody's got to put their car out of commission for four months. It, it, it's a lot to ask of someone. So, so that's... That's how we get the, show, the cars that go in the show that we don't already have, is people being kind enough to let us do that. So I guess we want to see more. We'll head over to the San Diego Auto Automotive Museum. Yes, by all means. Great. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Well, thank you, Lloyd and Steve, for talking with me and for sharing with the listeners here a little bit about your car ownership and also about the San Diego Automotive Museum. Head on over to the website, theclassicsportscar.com to see some pictures of these vehicles and the links to the news articles we talked about earlier. Thanks for listening to the show. For additional features, please visit the website, theclassicsportscar.com. Please join us again for another episode. Until then, I hope to see you out on the road in your own classic sports car.